Radio 1190 is supported by CU Football. The Buffaloes only have two games left this season. Saturday, November 7th, come down to Folsom Field and see Colorado versus Stanford. Get your tickets now at cubuffs.com or call 303-49-BUFFS. are listening to Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder's Buff Sports Radio. here at Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. It's Buff Sports Radio, and uh, me, Andrew Hodman, my co-host, Jake Shapiro, we're going to have a little bit of fun tonight with you. And despite a rough loss for the University of Colorado football team, there is some uh, things to either fret or be excited for, and that being in the form of ESPN's 30 for 30 that's going to be dropping tomorrow night entitled The Gospel According to Mac. And we have a special interview for you that is going to come at 6.15. We were able to catch up with Jim Potter. It's the director of this 30 for 30. And uh, he had some pretty interesting things to say, not just about uh, what he thinks people are going to take a look at with this um, particular documentary slash film short, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, but also uh, shed some interesting light on what his opinion uh, of Bill McCartney is and the legacy that he's left at the University of Colorado. It's it's a pretty cool uh, interview, a lot of cool things to say. The other fun fact was, uh, you know, I was talking to Shap about this earlier. We actually grew up um, right next to one another, like about six blocks away. Not me and you, you no, and no, Jim. No. Yes, yes, me and Jim. Um when I called him to set this interview up, he goes, oh, where are you from? And I go, New York, Westchester County, Scarzo. I'm from Scarzo. I'm from Eastchester. And at that moment, I freaked out because people from I'm Scar- from Eastchester. We're down the river. Yeah. Well, literally. Well, that's kind of how they all speak. And he, you know, Eastchester and Scarzo typically don't like each other. Like, that's, like, we are we are rivals all it's, the way to the It's sharks court. and whatever from. Yeah. Jets, jets, jets and, and sharks. sharks. Um, you know, it's. Yeah, pretty much. And so I was thinking to myself, like, crap, I just cost us the interview by telling him I was from Scarsdale. But he's a good sport about it, and uh, he he grew up only a few blocks away from where I was. So a very cool interview for you that's going to come at 6.15. But before we jump into that, we uh, have a little bit of final wrap-up and final thoughts from Colorado's loss against UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Um, uh, Brutal might be the right word to describe that. I thought it was so-so. So so, Jamabo. Um, <laughs> no, I, I thought Colorado played pretty well. You know, you heard me on this program Friday night say that I thought Colorado's going to lose by three or four touchdowns. You know, they lost by three or four points. Well, actually, four points. But you know, Colorado played pretty well in this football game. Uh, they just weren't able to finish the job. You know, they're still trying to learn how to win football games. I think they're still trying to figure out all the pieces that go into winning a football game and beating a team, a ranked team, on the road and. You know, they'll get there. There, There's signs of improvement every single week, and I think this week was was a huge sign that they are improving. And I really liked what I saw from Sefa Lufau in this game, especially considering that he was forced to handle the ball about 120 times in this game. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. 
But, you know, Stefa Lufau showed his leadership uh, is still fantastic, and, mm-hmm. and I think he got hurt at times in the game and, and still came back and, and played pretty well. Patrick Carr had his real coming-out party. Uh, I think uh, Nelson Spruce showed that he's still an elite wide receiver in the Pac-12. I think there was a lot of good things from this Colorado football team. You know, the, the unfor- and you were right about Sefo. He threw the ball 57 times, um, and while he did throw a, a tough pick at the end, Sefo actually, from from the perspective of efficiency, actually had a decent game. 37 to 57, 312 yards. He managed the game pretty well, um, but this is one of those really and, just, I, and on the ground too, 15 for 45. Yeah, and, and it's just a a really horrible situation uh, for Colorado to dominate the game in the stats column the way that they did. 34 first downs to UCLA's 16. Uh, they had over 500 yards of total offense, 554 to UCLA's uh, 400. And the most damning stat of all, 41 minutes and 5 seconds of possession to UCLA's 18 minutes and 55 seconds, which is outrageous. And we've talked about the turnover battle and winning the turnover battle. This turnover battle was tied, but Play calling bit this team in the butt, and you know I I don't know that it was play calling. It was one Devin Ross drop away from a game. It's one Devin Ross drop away from a game, but it's also running north to south in the red zone, then taking your third down to go east to west. You I mean, all of a sudden lose yards brutal. and forces you into a passing play, leads to a pick six, and you know I think. I think a lot of people are starting to really see the frustration that's been mounting with offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren. And, you know, you talk about it all the time. How you think he's he's a very good, young, bright mind. But there are times where I think he is almost overcomplicating himself. You know, like he he tries to get too cute or tries to get too fancy or he sees something that might not be there. And all of a sudden you get a play like a third down, uh, you know, sweep out to the left when you literally – gotten 45 straight yards just pounding the rock down the middle, down the middle, down the middle. We're, we're focusing so much on the negatives, though. You know, If you look at what Brian Lingren did, he put Colorado in a position to win this football game. You know, is, the, is, that, is that him, though, or is that the offense finally waking up? Well, the offense up? and the defensive, defense is executed, but they didn't execute enough, and the offense didn't execute enough in the fourth quarter. And, yes, there were some problems with the play calls. Okay, not every play call is going to be perfect. That's Any offensive coordinator, no matter who, it's not going to be 100% perfect. The issue is I think a lot of people tend to focus on the negative play calls, as probably they should. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a lot of good play calls in this game that kept Colorado in the game and leading at times in this game, even leading late in the fourth quarter. Colorado was down in this game, I think, 14-3 to three at, or 21-3 to three at one point, something mm-hmm. like that. Yep, it was 21-3. Colorado came back and made it 31, uh, it was like 28. 31-28. Right. Yeah. So Colorado offensively, you know, they weren't able to finish the job off, but they certainly came back in this game and put themselves in a position to win the game. Now, I don't want to harp on the negatives too much. You're right. I mean, this was a a positive game and, and a very positive thing uh, for Colorado to walk into a Pac-12 road game like this and basically play straight up with the number 24 team in the country. However... There's something disheartening in the fact that after taking a game in Corvallis at Reeser Stadium, winning a game in dramatic fashion right at the end, letting the kids get the the monkey off their back and get the elephant out of the room of not being able to close out a Pac-12 conference game, then all of a sudden you come back in the next week when the score is 31-28 and you're thinking, it, the monkey's off their back. They've done it once. They might be able to do it again. And all of a sudden, it turns around, and you see that collapse in a way. Hold on. Last week, we saw the defense do it, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, sorry, against Oregon State, we saw the defense do it. The offense wasn't able to finish the job off. This week, the offense was behind when they needed to finish the job off, and they still weren't able to finish the job off. If you have your defense on the field leading, maybe they're able to finish the job off because the defense on this team is far superior to the offense, and that is something I did not expect to say in 2015. The defense only held UCLA to 35 points on the road. That's a really, really good defense. And you know what? They Their, their issues of why it was even 35 points was, one, there was a, uh, a pick six that came back, and then the other thing was that there was two or three really big plays in this game. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, UCLA only had nine, 18 minutes of possession in the game is because the defense forced so many three and outs or one first down and then uh, out in this game. And I think the defense was really just a solid defense in this game. You know, uh, I, I really liked what I saw from the Colorado defense. And, you know, 
it's it, I, I'm trying not to be over beaming with positives because of they did lose. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> but I, I I think people are looking at it so crookedly. Colorado this year should not be beating ranked teams on the road. That's just not where they are at in their program. And for them to be coming within four points of one of the top tier programs in the in college football is I think a fantastic thing. Top I, tier in college, uh, top tier in the conference, maybe. Well, top, you put UCLA up UCLA's in that ring. A top twenty-five team, yes, and UCLA's okay, history and UCLA's fair. track record over the last few mm-hmm. years, yes, that's as fair. well as their head coach being a fantastic head coach. I think. I think Jim Mora must have nightmares about Mike McIntyre. I honestly believe it because you know you, you talk about how this you know Colorado had really no business being. And we said as much on on Friday's show last week on Friday Night Live. You and I both thought that this was going to be a blowout and it was going to be something really bad along the lines of what happened at Arizona State. But for some reason, these past couple of years, UCLA and Colorado have played curiously close with one another. Colorado, I don't know if they if if. Coach Mack has Mora's number if he's doing some Belichickian stuff. But for some reason, it's always UCLA that they play really close, really good football with. And, you know, I get it. I, I, I understand why you would want to be positive and why there is a need to be positive. But when you get to this point and you only see a finite number of wins left on the schedule, personally— after watching Washington State hold court with Stanford, I don't think there is another win left on this schedule. That could have been it. But we said that last week. Yeah, we did. And that's, I mean, that's football for you. But it, from from the chairs that we are in, it's kind of our, our job to do is to, for better or worse, for right or wrong, to kind of project where we think things will, will stand and kind of take it based off of the past experience right, that but we've I, had. You know, my reaction after this game doesn't much change. I, I think Colorado—and it's interesting because I thought Colorado was going to get blown out in this football game, but the only thing that changed about the, my perception of the rest of the season is I think Colorado will play Stanford tough now. I yeah, didn't think that going agree with that. before this week. So I, I, and I really don't see Colorado getting blown out in another football game is what this UCLA th- game <laughs> proved to me. Uh, it, it might sound crazy because they do have four more games left, and it is the Pac-12, and it is the upper half of the conference, but— Colorado has now proven that they can go on the road and compete with a really tough UCLA team. And Colorado has proven time and time again that they have had chances to beat teams this year, and they just haven't been able to finish the job. Yeah, and, and you know, I I guess we're just going to be continually on the opposite sides of, of spectrum here because this, this, game, this game showed me what Colorado's capable of. What the team that we were promised, the team that we as media, because we did it, the team that we hyped up to no end at the beginning of the year and thought there was possibility, albeit a very slight one, but there was a possibility I, I of don't, bowl. I don't think the media was saying that it was going to be a bowl game. See, I think the players were saying it and we were reporting it. That's I, Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I, look, I personally thought this team could have won five or six. I said five or six. Yeah. And you know what? They could still is win just, five games. Which is, which is a... If you're looking at a season of five to six wins, there is a slight possibility of bowl because one of those could be a push. But so many people said they were going to go four and zero in non-conference. So what changes? They just lost to Hawaii instead of instead of uh, beating Hawaii. They get two conference wins, even better, you know, to show the progress. We everyone knows that Hawaii game was a very tough game, and I know Hawaii's program is going to go down right now. Well, they're it's one and six like, right now. I mean, they've been right. they've been atrocious. But we're the only Colorado's the only win on their schedule. People knew going into that game that that was a trap game for Colorado. Traveling out to the that's island, true. that's not easy. And a lot of people that I talked to said that that was going to be the toughest non-conference game for Colorado this season. So to lose your toughest non-conference game and then to win a conference game instead, you know, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're not like looking at it uh, uh, that greatly initially. But you're coming off of it uh, at the end of the season happier, I think, because it's like instead of we beat Hawaii, it's, oh, okay, we beat Wazoo or something. We beat a team in the Pac-12. So I think for the players that means something, that they have the ability to win two conference games. So, I I mean, I'm trying to spin it in a positive light here because I think this this Colorado football program is headed in the right direction, and every week I keep getting backed up that it – I keep getting the the backup from the team that they are showing me that they are going in the right direction. Uh, So I I really – hate the narrative of, you know, things need to change because mm-hmm. they are changing. Yeah. And right before your eyes. 614 here on Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder. It's Buff Sports Radio. And we're going to get back to football uh, and kind of preview the week ahead in a little bit of detail. But 
right now, for those of you that are, are tuning in for this uh, interview, it's, it's a very cool interview. It's a lot of fun. Um, but the whole concept uh, of this 30 for 30 is really touching on Coach McCartney's spirituality and how that kind of has spilled into every aspect of his life. Um, so without any further ado, we have Jim Potteretz, the director of ESPN's 30 for 30 film, The Gospel According to Mac. Chap. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to tonight's feature interview on Buff Sports Radio on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. Andrew Hobner and Jake Shapiro of BSN Denver here with the Gospel According to Mac director, Jim Potteritz. Jim, how are you tonight? Good, guys. I'm, uh, I'm feeling good. I'm glad to be on with you. Nervous at all for the debut tomorrow? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think I'm excited and I'm really nervous because, uh, you know, you don't see it in front of other people. You don't have some people over my house to watch it. But, uh, you know, I'm excited because I, I think we have a really special documentary and I think it's a, it's a great story. And I guess I'm, I guess I'm excited for the, for the world to be able to experience it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just out of curiosity, from, from my background in programming, you know, you see shows go through rough cuts and second cuts and final cuts. How many different uh, editions of the Gospel According to Mac had to happen until we actually reached the product people are going to be seeing tomorrow? Yeah, well, I, I guess it took well, like I stood up six months to edit it. You know, and we were we we started shooting it in February, um, and then we kind of started editing in, in May, in May, June, July, August, September, October. Yeah, so that you know we, we got like a you know we we got a cut that was maybe twenty five minutes too long our first cut, like our first full cut, and then we, we must have made, you know, two really big revisions, you know, to get it down to time, and then after that we made, we made you know, many, many, many revisions just, just to really fine-tune it. Would it get, you know what I mean? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Uh, would, it, would it spoil anything to, to ask what those two big cuts might have been? chunks to be honest with you you know what i mean because the story is really i don't know if you know much about the story but it's really sprawling you know it has to it has to do it really deals with a lot a lot of things and um i guess i guess you can say one of the things was that the, the championship game the 91 orange bubble that that was really 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 long and it became i guess half as long because when sometimes when you edit something at the beginning you think it's going to be you know, you think you think it's going to be really important, and it was obviously really important, but it just didn't need to be that long. You know what I mean? But there was not, there were, there were really no, no um, parts of the story which we which we said, you know what, we don't think this this part of the story is important because because we really dealt with a lot of aspects of the story. I mean, the story focuses on on Bill McCartney, but it deal but it touches on so many other things. Um, you know, people like Sal and Essie, the, the great quarterback. Um, daughter, their, their relationship, uh, his relationship, you know, his, his spiritual relationship, the guys on the team, uh, the racism that they they um, encountered while, while they were in Colorado, you recruiting those guys, challenging Nebraska and Oklahoma, some of the big games, the fifth-down game. You know, there's so much. It's such an interesting story that, that we really wanted to keep all of the aspects that made the story, you know, unique. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so we just decided to kind of like let's let's take a look at it and, and just tighten it up all the way around, kind of thing. Before we go a little bit more into the details, what got you interested sure. in wanting to tell this story? Well, the, in, in all honesty, uh, we we um, I, I uh, I'm working for Hawk Films, so Hawk Films. Uh, the, the, the producer on this film is Jonathan Hawk, and Jonathan Hawk. Uh, Directed Survive in Advance, which was I don't know if you guys are you guys familiar with the Thirty for Thirty series? Yes, it's fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Did, yep. did you see Survive in Advance? Yes, we did. Loved it. Was great. Right. Okay. So, so I actually produced and edited that for John, and but but the guy who took so we worked on that together, and we and he um the person who took that to us was Derek Whitford. You know, so yeah, obviously Derek was a starting guard and then the main player on the on Wolfpack team that won the national championship for Coach Valvano. And then after he left, when Valvano got fired, he was his assistant coach. He came to Colorado, 
and, and he just and he became friends with Charles Johnson and a few of the other guys on the team, and he also became friends with Mac. And he was you know, he was an assistant coach, uh, Wittenberg. And then he said he came back to us and he said, if you think our story with Alvano is great, you should see what happened in Colorado. So you know from that moment, you know, so he was he was the guy who kind of provided the entree and then hooked up with the Colorado and some of the guys on the team, and they you know they were excited about us telling the story, and you know kind of kind of went from there. So the the inside process of this, from from my perspective, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you guys just kind of pitch uh, pitch these stories to ESPN, and then they go forward with it. Is that is that actually how it works? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think look, I, I think it might work. I think I don't know if it, it works if every film is is created that way, but this one was. Hmm. You know, and I think that you know they saw that you know wrote a treatment and, you know, sent it to them, and I'm sure they, they were, uh, I, you know, I think with our track record, Jonathan Hawk, who, 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 as I said, produced and, and wrote this, uh, he's also, he also directed uh, The Best That Never Was, The Margaret Dupree, uh, 30 for 30, and also uh, Miracles and Man about the Soviet hockey team. That, that aired in February. So I think, you know, Hawk Films has a really nice track record with ESPN, so there's a comfort zone there. So I, I think when we told them we wanted to do the story, I'm sure that, you know, they felt comfortable doing it, mm-hmm. hopefully. You know, I think hopefully that uh, their confidence has been, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that we, uh, you know, we delivered on that confidence. Well, from from a viewer's perspective, I mean, both of those thirty for thirties were were some of the best in my opinion. But you know, the other question that I have about when you guys are out there telling the story is thirty for thirty has this very unique ability to tell every side and every angle of the story. Do you guys ever uh, feel like there is a need to balance perceptions that people might have or, or have a bias almost towards fairness and telling that entire story? I mean, I think, you know, I think it's interesting as a storyteller, it, you know, it depends. I mean, you could tell the story where you you bring in reporters from every angle, you know, and they kind of give you the context, right? But I think for us, what really, we really wanted to do was tell the story from the perspective of the participants, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and feel what they were feeling. But also, at the same time, you know, fact check that, make sure that they, you know, they were telling us the real, you know, that they were lying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we wanted, we, you know, we, you know, we felt like the first person story is more compelling, and having a point of view is more compelling than necessarily uh, telling me, you know what I mean, and getting it, and kind of beating it to death from mm-hmm. every angle. Yeah. You know. And, you know, I mean, when you tell, when you, if you look at documentaries, there are many different kinds of documentaries. I think the documentary that we want to tell, would, you, would, you would walk out of there and say, you know, it felt like a movie. I didn't know what was going to happen next. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As opposed to kind of like talking about something and then analyzing it to death. We'd rather have the, we'd rather have the action just you know, keep coming at you. One of the interesting so. things I find with this story, uh, Jim, is... Uh, have it, you guys seen it? Uh, no, 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 but we, we know it. I, I grew up in Boulder, so I'm very familiar with the story. Uh, but uh-huh. I'm looking forward to seeing it tomorrow night. Uh, similar to this story is another 30 for 30, The U. And I'm very interested to see how the the glory of Colorado football is captured, as well as somewhat of the downfall. Can you sh- shed your perspective on what that will be like for a Colorado football fan to to go through the highs and lows of this once again? Well, you know, to be honest with you, we we, we kind of stopped dealing with Colorado football in '94. Well, like I guess the time frame for us for, for Colorado for dealing with Colorado from 82 to 94. So they kind of start at the bottom and the end more or less at the top. You know what I mean? We, we, we don't really talk about Colorado football from 94 on. I know there, there have been some peaks and valleys since then. Uh, so we don't really get into the downfall. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, but, we, we know, we tried to, but, you know, but within, obviously within the, 
within that 12-year period, there were there were peaks and valleys. Although, although Colorado kind of, you know, like, you know, when, when McCartney took over, they were pretty lousy, and um, they, they 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 kind of they they just you know they stayed lousy for a little while, and they, then they began to ascend. But I do think within that. The, for Colorado, I think the peaks and the valleys for that team were really off the field. You know what I mean? They ran into a lot of controversy. And uh, and how they dealt with it was really interesting. You know, and how McCartney dealt with it was really interesting. I think the players went through a lot. You know, they they went through more than, than the average player, I think. You know what I mean? They, they, it really, really, to me, the, the off the field stuff was much more interesting than the on the field stuff. And the, and the on the field stuff was really interesting as well. But I just think they, they you know, the, the film has so much. It's such a rich film, you know? Do, do you think uh, the Colorado football fans will view the film differently than the, the, the rest of the audience that will be viewing this film? Probably a little bit because, you know, they're biased, right? They, you know, <laughs> so they'll, they'll, be, they'll rejoice. But I, I, look, I, I really hope that uh, that people who don't, you know, don't, you know, whatever. They, they, you know, look, if you hate Colorado, it's a different story. I mean, I don't, I, you know, if, if you just an out and out hater, maybe people, maybe Missouri fans won't like it that much. But I think, I think everyone else will get behind the Colorado guys, and because they're great guys, you know. And you know, and Mac is a polarizing figure, and you know, I, I, I know he's he's controversial and there's people who may not like him because of his politics because of his, his stance his religious stance but you know I mean he's so, so I can see some people maybe not liking him for that reason but I do feel like he's still a, a compelling and likable character so I think that I think the average person's gonna gonna be rooting for Colorado so as, while, they're, while they're watching hmm. so from your own perspective you know as you begin to unravel this story and you, you start talking to Coach Mack and talking to his players and kind of understanding everything that was going on, what conclusions did you yourself draw about Coach Mack, if any? Well, I, I, first of all, I, the one, the first thing that, that comes to mind is Mack's the kind of guy you can't put into a box. You know, you hmm. think you have him figured out and he will say something that absolutely blows you away. And, you know, he's... He's not what I thought he would be. I don't think he's. I don't think he's like any other football coach. Because I really and I and I really think what what stands out about him most is that in an age of people who are, you know, what are politically correct, he's he's the exact opposite of that. Hmm. You know, he'll he'll just he'll just say what's on his mind, and it's incredibly refreshing, and it gets him in trouble a lot. But he, but, but I mean, as, as far as a a producer is concerned, or a director, if you if you want a story and you you want you want a compelling subject, I mean nothing's better than that, you know. And I also, but I also think in his own in his own mind, he's a guy who who is always kind of searching for the truth, you know, mm-hmm. according to him. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out that that he always cared more. Like I think if you, if you would take your average football coach, you think they they worry most about football. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think. I, I think, well, obviously he really cared about football. I think he cared about other things. Uh, almost, I shouldn't say almost much, but but he really deeply cared about them. You know what I mean? And that makes him unique in my in my opinion. So, so. yeah, so only, only two questions left from us. But you know, I want to touch sure. on that point that you you mentioned about political correctness, and, and I actually had one of these questions written down. It was one of the first questions I wanted to ask. Society today is more progressive, more politically correct, and when you look at um, people that are kind of deeply religious, they, they get kind of painted with, with the brush of, of a fanatic in a way. So from your side of things, as a director, how do you balance telling the story of Coach Mack and, and how committed to religion he was without making him look like he is overtly uh, a fanatic to some people or what some people might think to be fanatic? Well, look, I think in some respects he is slightly, I mean, fanatic is the wrong word, but he, look, he's, he is very committed. So there, and it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, I don't want, I didn't want people to not feel his commitment because that's part of it, right? That's who he is. So I didn't want to shy away from that. But to be honest with you, I think the players humanize him. And how he, he interacts with the players, you see that 
he's and also what he went through on a personal level. Uh, you know, with the Salinasi story, um, and and also just with, with his players, and and you know, the racial issue is huge, um, and his role in dealing with helping his players deal with that humanizes him in a, in a way that that you know trying to need you know you know us trying to artificially humanize him you know what I mean getting mm-hmm. people to say oh you, you don't really know what Mac was like he was really like this like that he really was like that I mean it doesn't matter you know what I mean what once you see him with his players then you see that well this guy you know for whatever I think about his religious beliefs whether I agree with him whether I don't agree with him what I'm seeing him experiencing here sh- sheds new light on him and makes me makes me look at him in, a, in an entirely different context. I wanted to go... Uh, did, I, did I answer that question well? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a great okay. answer. <laughs> You're giving us great answers. We're loving this. And I, I just right. had to, to ask you one other thing, and this is not sure. relating to the, to the buffs. Uh, it's about The Last Gladiator, a film you did and you were a part of. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I, I love, love that. I love that story. I just wanted to tell you that. Uh, Chris Nalen, such a such a charismatic character in that movie, uh, in that in that documentary. Uh, what 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 sticks out to you as you look on that, look back on that a few years later now? Oh well, well, <laughs> in some ways Chris is like Matt, right? Because they're both so. Well, you'll see, you'll see, you know. I because you know how Chris was un, uncensored, unfiltered. You know what I mean? Uh, what, what what stands out about it? I don't know. I just you know I love getting to know Chris and I love telling his story and and um, I'm still in touch with him. So I think I think to me almost like that's that's the greatest thing is I is I made a new friend. You know what I mean? Who uh, who who uh, who is really who's really unique and I'm never in trouble. You know, if I'm ever in a barroom fight, I you know I can call him Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I can you know I can say anything I want. He'll back me up. But him or Marty McSorley, you'll be okay. What? Him, him, or, or if you had Marty McSorley. Him or Marty McSorley, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, most of those guys, but uh, you know, I, actually, you know, what's the crazy thing is, I, 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 one of the things that sticks out to me about Chris is that, well, first of all, we didn't put in the film, but uh, I think he's Whitey Bulger's son-in-law. Really? But well. His, he married his stepdaughter. Oh, okay. His, wife, his first wife, Karen, is a stepdaughter, but, you know, she was raised by him. So that's, that's an amazing thing. So when all this stuff with Whitey Bulger came out, I was like, it was really kind of funny. But uh, we probably should have put it in the movie, but it, we didn't want to get mm-hmm. killed. So yeah. anyway, so, uh, and, but the other thing was, um, is that all the other guys were really nervous about fighting, you know, all the other forces we took, we talked to. And Chris never cared about fighting didn't bother him. He so said, like, the thing that I worried about was, was, was going out and embarrassing myself as a hockey player. So, <laughs> anyway, so that, 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 that was always, I always, I always get a kick out of that. But, uh, Very funny. That's it, I guess. Yeah. Jim Potteritz, so. director of some of your favorite 30 for 30s, including your newest favorite one, The Gospel According to Mac, which airs tomorrow night on ESPN. Jim, it has been a real pleasure talking to you. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, guys. Uh, enjoy the movie, uh, documentary, and uh, I enjoyed talking to you as well. I'm sure we will. Thanks a ton, Jim. Thank Appreciate you. it. Okay. Take care, guys. Yep. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Jim Potteritz, the director of Tomorrow Night's 30 for 30, The Gospel According to Mac. And, um, you know, Shap, just before we got back on air, you know, you, you said – it's not going to be everyone's favorite 30 for 30 in response to what I said in the interview about it being people's next favorite 30 for 30. And uh, why do you think that is? I'm curious. Well, thanks for putting me on blast, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a reason Bill McCartney left Colorado and Colorado parted ways from Bill McCartney. And I think a lot of the things that people maybe forgot that happened negatively are going to come back. And I think people are going to remember Mac for the 3D character that he is and not just the 2D character as a great football coach and a religious guy. And I think people are going to remember him as, you know, for all of his faults and great things. So I, I, I think some of the things people didn't like 
uh, are going to come back, and I think people are going to see some of the things they did like that they forgot they're going to come back. So I think it's just going to bring life to Mac, and I don't know that that that, that is necessarily a good thing. I'm not sure, I yeah. should say. Yeah. You know, the one thing that I really like about this is the fact that uh, Jim mentioned that this basically ends around 94, and that way you get to kind of avoid this whole conversation about here's where Colorado football's program used to be and here's where it is now. And I think it's helpful because if if you do have something like that, you never want to you never want to put that out there. I mean, watching the end of the U part 2, it's brutal watching them take down the Orange Bowl and you realize they got screwed by a guy named Shapiro too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, Shap be better, man. Mark Shapiro gets hired in or Mark Shapiro gets hired in Toronto today too. Yeah, um but, you know, you're talking about – you have Jonathan Vilma commenting on that and saying, you know, they took the heart and soul right out of right out of Miami football when they tore down the Orange Bowl. Luckily for Colorado, at least to the best of my knowledge and based on what Jim told us, you're not going to see that. You're not going to see Mac, uh, Mac McIntyre – Bill McCartney leaves Colorado and all of a sudden the heart of Colorado uh, football is gone. Now, the thing that I think a lot of people are not going to like, I think that um, – Bill McCartney is not going to enjoy how he is going to be portrayed in this, I have a feeling. Um, and I talked to University of Colorado Sports Information Director Dave Platty about potentially getting Coach McCartney to be on this show tonight. And what he told me was that um, he is going to be waiting uh, to see how he is portrayed in that 30 for 30, and then he will decide if he wants to do any media requests. So for our sake, hopefully he likes it. But I think that... Um, you know, with religion being what it is in America these days, where you have a pretty loud, pretty, um, pretty out there uh, group of people that are really, really heavily um, pro-religion, then you have people that are really anti-religion, then you have people that are kind of just in the middle, that are moderates who might not um, be heavily religious, but they get turned off by the people that are just overtly religious. You will see. Uh, a lot of people talking about Bill McCartney being this kind of Bible-thumping guy. And that's never what you want to see. That's not the narrative that you want to see. But it is so closely intertwined with him that there is a chance that people will walk away from this and be like, this guy was you know, kind of out there with it. Um, now— well, e even There's, Jim brought it up it, yeah. for how interesting it was on the field during Colorado's run of success from 82 to 94. Yeah. It was almost as interesting off the field. And I think the turning point in this movie, gathering from what I heard from Jim, is going to be the death of, of Sal. It, yeah, it sounds Sal like Lisa, that's yeah. – and, and, I mean, for Colorado fans, we all know that's kind of the, the momentous uh, changing point of Colorado football was that, was that occurrence. Yeah, and, you know, the – that whole story is, I mean, that's crazy. It, I mean, it is. That story in its own could be a documentary. I oh, think Outside the Lines did a mm -hmm. great feature on it. Yeah, and, and Grantlin did as well. Rest in peace. Pour out my, uh, pour out my smoothie. Pour out your Dharma juice. Honor, honor the dead, honor the dead homies uh, that are Grant, <laughs> that are, or that is Grantlin rather. Proper syntax. But the whole point is that Grantlin did a really great story on that entire thing and. If you read through that, and it's a pretty long-form piece, um, but if you read through that, it kind of, I think, is it, it's written the way I kind of picture this 30 for 30 to go um, because it touches on all aspects of what was going on at that time in Colorado football. And the whole story of Salonisi and, uh, and Shannon Claval, too, um, you know, both uh, fathers of, of children— born from Christy McCartney, Bill McCartney's daughter, is that's an interesting story. And the fact that it goes to 94, I wonder if they're going to make any mention of the fact that um, that Christy McCartney did uh, have a child with Shannon Claval, because that, I believe, happened in 93. That's what spawned Westward's uh, incredibly vicious article that, in his book, Coach McCartney actually talked about wanting, at one point, to kill that author. I mean, it's written out that because that because of how because of the vitriol of that article and how and how utterly ruthless it was to his daughter that it did not make him happy the irony and i and i tweeted it today because i was just looking through a bunch of stuff in in preparation for that interview there's a sentence in there that's the title of the documentary 
but but I wonder if that's irony. I wonder, and and that's why I question if people are going to like this. Is is it going to be good? Is it going to be a good look for Colorado? And I I don't know, and we're going to find out tomorrow, because the fact that the line for the name of the, the, the documentary is from... Maybe the, well, I don't the know if it's most directly. I don't know if it's directly. We don't know if it's directly, it, but, but but it is the fact that you're seeing it used right. in that right. way in an and, article and that's so heavily the mo- slams right. them. Yes, perhaps the worst article ever written about Colorado football. Yeah, it's up there. I mean, some of Rick Riley's stuff, which you know is Colorado grad, you expect right. it to be a little bit nicer, but it's yeah, like it's, that was yeah. article. It's it's pretty bad. So like, <laughs> and right there, we're talking about things that people do not want to talk about if you're a Colorado football fan. So I think. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that people will have forgotten about or maybe just kind of blacked out that are going to be brought back up tomorrow night. And, you know, like we said with the football team, a lot of things that are negative outweigh the positives. And, you know, I think it's going to be a great story. And as someone who wasn't alive during it, I'm going to really enjoy hearing it and from a different perspective than that of my peers. So, and especially from an outsider, Mm because Jim is an outsider, and I really liked how he found out about the story, because it's a great way, uh, finding out through someone he knew from Survive in Advance, and coming over here and hearing about that, this story, and saying, you know, he wanted to do this documentary, too. So, I'm really interested in his perspective, and the people who talk's perspective in this, I I already realized from the, uh, from the, the trailer there's so many different Colorado athletes interviewed, oh, yeah. and Jim even said this Big himself. Time. He wanted to tell it from the participants of the story, not people that mm-hmm. were reporting it. Well, you know, it, it's funny that y- you mention um, how this story came to 30 for 30, and frankly, I was really shocked because having having worked in, in a programming and scheduling division for a few months with NBC Sports, you know, they, those particular uh, areas are not – usually places where you'll see uh, something come to them from outside. You know, they will think of an idea or something that they want to do in terms of a documentary that comes from someone in programming, and then you go find the production company that you trust that goes out and does it. Now, the fact that these production companies are actually pitching this stuff to ESPN, and maybe that just might be uh, a special that Hawk Productions does because they've worked multiple 30 for 30s before, and they're kind of trusted by the network is... Uh, is kind of a different matter. But the fact that you're out there pitching this stuff is pretty amazing. And frankly, I'm surprised someone hasn't pitched this earlier because this is really an unbelievable story. And, and you talk about the the, uh, the fears and the concerns of people having that they won't receive Colorado football in a positive way. I think that's a totally valid concern for people that aren't close to, at all to this program. Because what are you going to see if you have no idea what Colorado football is? You're going to watch this, and this isn't going to be like the U or like the uh, documentary on us on SMU Pony Excess. It's not going to be like, wow, this this looks like so much fun. These players look like they were doing awesome, and, and, and it's cool, and they got swag, and they're getting gold transams, and, you know, it's fun, and... No, this is going to deal with some like with some very real and very very hard issues for a lot of people. And I'm worried that the football aspect of it that made the U and made Pony Excess so popular is going to be overshadowed by the whole situation with Salonese, the uh the problems in Boulder uh with the police and the players and well even Jim said half of the yeah. Orange Bowl was cut out. Yeah. And yeah, and that's and that's a huge part. And but but the thing is, that's the only way you can tell this story, and that's what I guess is is unfortunate. I mean, for any a lot football program could win one na- national championship. Not every not every, every program had what happened here under a crazy coach, a great coach, whatever you want to characterize mm-hmm. him. Not many programs have had the character that Bill McCartney is in their doors. Uh, running their program for uh, for a decade, yeah. and I think that's where this story is, and I think that's why you know this is being told. And you know, you're saying you're surprised it hasn't been told earlier. I'm not because the peop- the stories that have been told on for 30 for 30 are either really big stories that everyone knew about, like the OJ truck chase, and it was mm-hmm. told in a different way, yeah. or it's stories people have never really heard about, like Marcus Dupree. So. This you want to qualify this as a story that people haven't really heard about? No, I think that because there's been books written about it. All I right, think there's fair. been articles and there's been uh, news stories been done about it. So I think this kind of falls into a middle ground. But I think that the fact that it's such a great story is going to going to show. And, you know, is it a happy ending? We're going to find out because it's going to be whatever <laughs> way the yeah. uh, the 
the documentarians uh, uh, spin this, you know, and I think Bill McCartney probably got. I think Bill McCartney right now as a human, uh, just from talking to him a few times, he seems like a really happy guy right now. Yeah. So if you look at it from Bill McCartney's perspective, I think he did. He came out a winner in all of this, and I don't. But I don't think Colorado football did, and I think a lot of people are Colorado football fans, not Bill McCartney fans. And I think that's kind of how this documentary is going to go for a lot of people. Is is they're 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 not going to like the way the results came mm-hmm. with Colorado football, even though it does end in 1994. But they're going to be happy for the individuals, I think, yeah. because a lot of people that were touched by Colorado football during those 10 years, whether it be athletes or just people involved in Boulder, I think benefited from Colorado football. I agree. And to bring this into, into today's context, there, within the Grantland article, there's a very little – there's a funny little nugget that seems so eerily familiar to Colorado football right now. Uh, and the quote from the article says uh, – it's talking about Coach McCartney in, in, his, in the context – says he went 2-8-1 and one in his first season and 4-7 and seven in his second and 1-10 and ten in his third. A disastrous campaign during which his best player, tight end Ed Reinhardt, nearly died from a head injury. That fall, McCartney's contract was up. Bill Morolt, the coach of Colorado's ski team, had just been promoted to athletic director and the pressure was bearing down on both of them. I thought about where we were and where we were going, Morolt recalls. I thought about what Bill's resume was and what he brought. I thought the program, what the program really needed was continuity and consistency. And so he renewed McCartney's contract. Now, am I losing my mind? Because that does sound eerily familiar to what is going on in Colorado football these days, Shep. I've been saying it the entire time I've been on this show is they need consistency. Mm-hmm. They need McIntyre to solidify their program and just kind of give it in a good spot. I don't know where he's going to leave it or if they need another guy to bring him to, you know, a national title or an Orange Bowl or whatever hopes people have. But I think right now to even just build the program, they need consistency and they need a guy that knows he's going to have a job and players that know that that guy's going to keep his job. Yeah, and and when you think about it, I wanted to pose this question actually. Pop uh, it. Whatever. I wanted to pose this question to Gary Barnett, uh, actually, when we had him a couple weeks ago, and I kind of did and said, you know, do you see any similarities between your first three years as a, as a head coach at Northwestern and uh, to Coach McIntyre's time? You know, he kind of, you know, he said it was sort of apples and oranges. Northwestern and Colorado were in very different places at the time, but McCartney's a guy who actually, I think, um, really matches up with Coach McIntyre in a very weird way. I mean, he came in. Uh, Colorado had gone 7-26 and under a few seasons under Chuck Fairbanks. They had three bad seasons. And then the minute they hit that fourth year with Coach McCartney, it all clicked. And it all became what we view those years to be, which is nothing short of amazing. Some of the cornerstone best years that this program has ever had. And I can't help but look forward and think to myself – is history repeating itself right now? Is there a potential for, in this fourth year, Colorado to all of a sudden turn the corner the way that Bill McCartney's team did? I'm going to say no, and I've been the positive one. I just, <laughs> I just don't see— Well, I guess we have our answer. Show's over. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, just don't see Bill Mc, I just don't see Mike McIntyre being Bill McCartney. Well, I think there's a lot of similarities, not just the— f- not just the fact that they're what, uh, they're what both are you watching? the Blackhawks game. Okay. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of similarities, not just in the sense that they're both named Coach Mack and that they're both religious men. I think they're both good football coaches, but I don't think today's environment uh, is the same as uh, yesteryear's environment. And I just don't know. And maybe I'll, I'll have a little bit more perspective on this after I watch the, the doc tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to it because I think I'm going to learn a lot. But... I just don't see Mike McIntyre being Bill McCartney, and I think every single coach that's come to Colorado has been compared to Bill McCartney because Bill McCartney's been the gold standard. So I, I think, true. you know, you're comparing them to the best, and, you know, there's a reason why trophies are named after people. It's because you want to be compared to the best. There's a Hank Aaron baseball award because people want to be compared to Hank Aaron, and I think that's kind of what it is with Bill McCartney and every single other coach that will ever coach at Colorado. It's what are you like compared to Bill McCartney? So I think if you look hard enough, you can find similarities with Coach Mike McIntyre and Bill McCartney, but I don't think they're the same coach. And I think Mike McIntyre is going to go about it his own way, and I do see him being successful, but I don't see him being successful in the same way that Bill McCartney was successful. The Gospel According to Mac will be premiering tomorrow night at 7 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. You know, if you have a computer, you can watch it on Watch ESPN, on your app, on cable, if you're not a cord cutter. Um, 
no doubt it will be interesting. And, and I'm very, very interested to see how this is all going to pan out because from what I had heard from a few people that uh, have seen it within Sports Info and, and the athletic department, um, once filming got done, they said there wasn't any apparent issue that they would take with it. The questions that they were asking, the interviews, the way they were shooting, the story that they said they wanted to tell, nobody – and these are people that – who that. If there's an issue with something CU-related, right. they're going to be upset about it. Well, even if the story is told honestly, I think people are going to have some trouble with it. Just because yeah, there was, there's a lot true. of controversial there's, things yeah. that happen. Well, and there's a lot of situations in there, too, that you you don't want to talk about. It's, it is uncomfortable to talk about. I mean, if you're, if you're a father sitting there... Uh, you know, and and the story the story right. becomes that you're a football coach and your daughter uh, has a child out of wedlock with one of the players, and the player dies like six months later. I mean, it's it's crazy. That is a crazy thing that I, if I were a father, would be very, I would I'd be freaking out if I would be watching that. It's not it it, it ventures into some territory that I don't think people are really excited or. or are ready to see yet um but it's a story that needs to be told it's stranger than fiction yeah exactly and i think this is going to be a good time any any pr is good pr for cu right now um i don't think anything like this is going to hinder recruiting or stop people from from going to these games but uh i I think that i don't know it's it's going to be very interesting to see how this all pans out that's for sure uh, my most interesting thing is, uh, like I told you when I was walking out of the newsroom today, I said, I don't know whether to watch this enjoy it, and enjoy it myself or just watch Twitter because I really am interested to see what other people's reactions are, but I also really want to learn something about this film. Well, uh, what, I, what I told you in response was I'm going to be watching this thing with TweetDeck open so I can just get live updates as it goes because it is really going to be something. 6.52 here on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. We'll stop and talk uh, very quickly about some basketball-related matters, and then when we hit you know, 55, we'll, we'll, preview, uh, we'll preview Friday and preview the game a little bit. But I want to touch on a couple things. Number one, uh, Trevor Stonbach, one of the uh, bigger recruits that Colorado was chasing for the class of 2016. You know what he said to Tad Boyle? What did he say? Get back, get back. You don't know me like that. <sighs> Sorry. Go ahead. 652 on Radio 1190 KVCU. <laughs> Boulder, we're done. Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so Trevor Stonbach commits uh, to Stanford today. He was one of three big men that – Colorado was looking at it was him Jace Johnson who had actually reclassified um, and then Dante Bassett Jace Johnson ended up at Utah Bassett at Florida and now Stombach at Stanford and now you have a class that has two guards in Dillion Brown and Bryce Peters who was arguably an upgrade over Cameron Satterwhite but now you're out a big man for 16 and you're going to lose a lot of your big talent in the next two years. You're going to lose Josh Scott. You're going to lose Wes Gordon. You're going to lose Xavier Johnson. Literal big talent. Yeah, I'm. Se- yeah, and so, so I'm wondering what the what the feeling must be uh, within Colorado recruiting right now because they needed 2016 badly to replenish a lot of really high level talent that they're going to be losing, and it does not look good uh, for Colorado for years to come now because all of a sudden now the class of 17 becomes an even bigger priority. And I don't know if you're Tad Boyle. I don't know if you want that. But as my buddy said, it's mm-hmm. not a great class, but it's not a terrible class. Yeah. I you're gonna have I think it could have been better, no doubt. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the way Colorado basketball performed last year – I really understand why Trevor Stanback wanted to go over to Stanford and get a better education and play for an comparable basketball team. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest problem that Colorado has right now is that they all the momentum that they had had two years ago when Spencer Dinwiddie was here, when you had a Skia Booker and, and Josh Scott all together on the floor, all the momentum that happened for this program, I think just took a really big hit. The minute Spencer Dinwiddie right. went down in Washington with a knee injury. Well, friend of the show, uh, uh, Adam Butler, even said, I think Colorado needs to turn the page. And I, I think he's right. I think Colorado needs to start a new chapter. Yeah, and I wonder if that is going to be this year. On another interesting note within Colorado basketball, for those of you who check social media as avidly as we do, um, 
there was a uh, interesting Halloween costume by C- uh, CU Center Josh Scott, and it was basically a poster that he had put on his chest that said, "Since all of you, uh, was since all, since so many of you want to be me, I'm going as myself for Halloween," um, and then shouted out uh, a, a pretty prominent member of the CU Buffs community. Now, I'm not I'm not gonna be in here to talk about that specifically, but this does raise a broader issue of when is it okay for athletes to make note of the fact that they are actually listening? Because, you know, you've started noticing this with Kevin Durant, and, you know, all Stephen A. Smith threats aside, Kevin Durant's a guy who went, who kind of is reminiscent of Josh Scott in the way, rather Josh Scott's reminiscent of him in the way that he was always the good sport, the good soldier, never opened his mouth, never did anything wrong, but somewhere along the line he got tired of the media and went, you know what, you guys are reporting things that are wrong, you guys are wrong about things, I have no desire to talk to you, and so it, it, it makes me wonder, if you're, an, if you're a player, do you want people to know that you are listening and that it's affecting you that much that you need to have a Halloween costume based off of it? I, I don't know. Yeah. And I think it's four minutes uh, of a show is too short to figure this out, but you know, I, I just want to touch on it quickly, though. I think yeah. it's something that is kind of noteworthy about something that did happen this weekend. It's sort of yeah. a, it's sort of a, a broader, a broader issue at work. I, like, I, should, I don't should think you be, should you be letting people know that? I think two guys that have done this brilliantly is both, uh, well, three guys: Spencer Dinwiddie, mm-hmm. looking at you, Andrew, <laughs> uh, Kobe Bryant, all and stories. Nick Young. Yeah, uh, I think those three guys have all kind of taken their criticism and not only talk the talk but walk the walk and i think that's what you got to do i think to go out of your way to troll people or to get back at fans is a little bit too much but i think no letting them know that you are listening with a wink and a nod is kind of cutesy and it's kind of cool yeah and i I think there's a way of doing it correctly i think phil kessel's done it the exact opposite way of what you want to do yeah uh for you hockey fans out there uh, and I, I don't I don't want to criticize Josh Scott because I thought this was actually pretty hilarious. I thought it was too. But, I, but yeah, I, I I don't think you should want to alienate your fan base because no matter how you see this fan uh, or several fans or whatever group of fans, they still are your fans and I, they still yeah. are going to root for you at the end of the day. So I think if you kind of make fun of them in yeah. a way, but don't alienate them, I think that's where the line is. Well, line you know, is. the funny thing about this is this. This costume comes on the heels of a Cepho Lufau tweet from the 31st that says, too many people use social media to say things they wouldn't say in person. And to me, that's a little bit more veiled, and I understand that there is frustration. If you're a collegiate athlete at a place like Colorado, this fan base is not – they are not easy on I want I want to touch on this real quick, too, before we go. Yeah. Cepho Lufau was peak Cepho Lufau in that game. Cepho Lufau – maybe best game of his entire career mm-hmm. with that game. Both running, passing, he was very, very good. I know he had the two picks, but he showed his best characteristic yep. in that game time and time again, and that is leadership. And he stood in there and made plays when he need to made need to make plays. He is a tough son of a, you know what? Blah, blah, blah. And he showed that he is that and that he is a leader for this yeah. football game. So I, I'm not favorable to anyone. But, I, man, I really like mm-hmm. Sefa Lufau and the way that guy plays. Well, yeah, you know, he's to me, he's kind of a, a bit of an equivalent of, of Josh Scott. You know, he he is a guy who takes an immense amount of criticism, and he leads. Sometimes he doesn't, you know, his words aren't heeded by, by people or players, but he is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, is the one that the coaches and the media look to to be that guy right. well, for their respective teams. I think Sefo's a little bit more spontaneous. I'd agree. I, I, and that's agree. what I think makes him so attractive to me. Uh, I really, you know what <laughs> I meant question. by that. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and his relationship towards me since I've started working in the media has been fantastic. Uh, not that Josh Scott's hasn't been, but I feel like Sefo Lufau is more genuine. And I'm not saying Josh Scott isn't, but I feel like there's certain aspect of every time you have a conversation with Sefo Lufau, he really wants to actually talk to you. Yeah. And, and and maybe that's just his background or something about him, but like Cepho makes you feel like you two people, you you and your uh, him are the only two people in the room when you're talking to him. Well, look, on that end, I mean, I've talked to Josh several times in non-work settings, and he's a great guy. He, he really is. And right. he's a guy who I think has taken a lot of unnecessary criticism in his career, and I think that he seems like someone who's just tired. He's tired of it all. However, I don't know if, 
going out and and taking direct shots like that is really the right way to go. But it's the Hobner way. Exactly, and nobody wants that. Why would you ever want to do that? That's what gets you called out by Spencer Dinwiddie when you're a sophomore three in college. Years, <laughs> and three years later. Three years later.